Welcome to episode seven of Through the Noise with me, Alex Banks. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Rex Woodbury. Now, Rex is a partner at Index Ventures, one of the leading venture firms of the last decade with a portfolio including the likes of Deliveroo, Discord, Dropbox, Notion, and Slack. At Index, Rex focuses on early stage and growth investments in the creator economy with a particular interest in consumer tech, Gen Z, Web3, and digital economies. Now, prior to Index, Rex worked at Airtable, a leading no-code platform for building collaborative apps. Before Airtable, Rex was an investor for TPG's $14 billion growth platform, backing the likes of Uber, Airbnb, Spotify, and Calm. Now, Rex began his career working as an, an investment banking analyst at Goldman Sachs in New York City. He also holds a BA in economics from Dartmouth College and an MBA from Stanford University. Now, Rex, I've heard great things from Kyle Harrison, your former colleague at Index. So thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, yeah, it's great to be here. No, I uh, appreciate you having me on and have enjoyed your Twitter for a while. And it sounds like we have a lot of shared interests. So excited to chat. Absolutely. No, I think let's, let's dive right in. Now, whilst I was preparing for this podcast rex i came across a video on youtube by fox news titled <laughs> man runs half marathon in suit and tie now talk me through this crazy endeavor and where this idea came from oh man that was that was a long time ago um it was actually it must have been six or seven years ago it was actually um the week before I met my my partner, and I uh, I joked to him that he only responded to my message because I had done this kind of crazy Guinness World Record stunt. Um, but it was March of you know twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen. I was set to run the New York City Half Marathon, and I read this article about a man setting the Guinness World Record for fastest half marathon in a business suit, and I was kind of like okay, that's a little wild. You know, it's kind of fun. I wear a suit to work. You know, I was working on Wall Street at the time. And uh, it was kind of like, it'd be kind of fun, tongue-in-cheek, tongue ironic to, to do this and try to set that record. And I think I could beat that time. So I did it. Yeah, I, I wore one of the suits that I wear to work. And um, I did wear running shoes. You're allowed to, to wear running shoes per, per Guinness's rules. But um, ran that race and broke the record. And it was swiftly rebroken by someone else um, later, but it was kind of a fun thing to do. Yeah, that's really terrific. I know it was, uh, I believe it was a 118, which is a blistering pace, especially in the <laughs> confines of a suit. So that's, yeah, quite, quite lots the feed of, there, uh, Rex. Lots of chafing, for sure. Um, wasn't, the most, <laughs> wasn't the most comfortable, but it was a fun, fun thing to do. Hope you you were wearing some undershorts. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Nonetheless, um, talk me through. Let's rewind the tape a little bit. Talk me through the beginning. So, how did you first make your way into the world of startups and venture investing? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it was uh, was moving out to San Francisco. Um, you know, I was living in New York. I'd always wanted to be in San Francisco, mostly to break into tech, um, and I'd always been fascinated by tech, but after a couple of years in New York, moved to the Bay Area. Um, and, you know, my, my partner and I at the time, you know, he was working at McKinsey, I was working at TPG. Um, but we both kind of slowly made our way into the startup world. You know, uh, he's at a startup now. I worked at a couple startups and then joined the venture world. Um, I think it's part of just the mentality in the Bay Area, which now very much kind of Silicon Valley is a, is more a state of mind, in my opinion, than a, than a geography. But 
you know, this was five, six, seven years ago when, um, you know, the, there was definitely a different kind of mentality for, for San Francisco in the Bay than, than you had on the East coast where I think we had treated our careers more like ladders and kind of these different paths that we felt we had to follow. Um, and it was very freeing to come to the Bay and kind of, you know, get fascinated by tech and startups and it's much more kind of meritocratic and scrappy. And, um, I just love the kind of zero to one and then the scaling process. I think it's really fascinating to be part of innovation and, um, the kind of big ideas and the people who are going to change how people interact with each other and with tech. And, um, that kind of got me enamored with tech, but I think it all kind of goes back to an interest in consumers and consumer behavior, which I'm sure we will jump into, but that was sort of the, fascination that jump-started all of the tech interests yeah to riff on that a little bit more talk me through those east coast versus west coast mentalities where on the east you know it's it's quite regimented and objective whereas on the west it's freeing as you say and a lot more open how has that shaped your career yeah i mean i think um it's definitely changed a bit too since i graduated from college um i think you know if you look back at kind of the jobs that a lot of college graduates are looking to have over the last 20 years, you know, maybe it was banking, then it was consulting, then it was big tech, you know, Google and Facebook. Now I think a lot of young people are really encouraged to either join a startup or start their own thing. Um, or maybe they'll be a creator or a solo, you know, GP or solo entrepreneur. I mean, there are lots of different career paths and I think um, people understand that it's more accessible now. So I think part of it is this, societal shift of we've had a lot of generational change around how people view work and the kinds of careers they want to have. And that's certainly true for millennials who kind of came of age during the financial crisis. And it's even more true for Gen Z's who maybe watched their parents lose their jobs during the financial crisis. And then they themselves entered the workforce during COVID. I think the difference in 2020 versus 2010 is that the internet now supports a lot of new forms of work um, and a lot of different kind of career paths that people can have. So it's been really interesting to see kind of my cohort um, shift the mentality around what work can be. And then also just the East Coast, West Coast mentality, where I do think Silicon Valley has bled into into New York and Austin and Miami and London and, you know, all over the world. Um, this kind of more um, open minded view of what a career can be. Yeah, absolutely. I guess going from that vein, where where did your passion for the creator economy stem from? And I guess, how has your experience as an online creator really influenced this? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of my, one advice now I give um, to younger people and, and something I wish I had done a little earlier in my career is just thinking about, you know, when you open the newspaper, what section are you drawn to reading? Or when you find yourself reading articles online, um, you know, what, what are those topics that the articles are about? Because I think that's a really powerful way to, you know, figure out what you're interested in, what you want to kind of dedicate your career to. Um, and for me, it was always culture, media, content, um, just kind of like, you know, maybe if you picked up the newspaper, it'd be more kind of like the arts, culture, lifestyle section. Um, and then for, you know, articles that I, I kind of find myself reading, they're all around consumer behavior. And so that's where I spend my time at Index. It's We're very broad in that um, we all invest from seed to venture to growth. So we have three funds in early stage um, or a seed fund an early stage fund, a growth fund. And we all are stage agnostic, but we tend to be more domain focused um, and sector experts. And so mine are all around consumer. Um, and that could be B2B. It could be 
uh, B2C, but it's really around these picks and shovels and, um, and consumer-facing platforms of how people interact with each other. And I think it all goes back to, you know, when I was young, the things that I was reading, the things that I was fascinated by were, um, you know, box office numbers, best-selling book lists, um, you know, the billboard music charts, a lot of kind of just fascination with media and content and how people are interacting. And I think, you know, that was 20 years ago. And, and now the sort of next iteration of that is kind of geeking out over like daily active users and, uh, you know, engagement on social apps or um, understanding, you know, how people are retaining in marketplaces and a lot of those fascinating dynamics. Because I think it's just, it's really interesting to see how people adopt new technologies, how their behaviors change, and then how people connect with each other and create things online. With that fascination that you had with media from an early age, Rex, I know when you were a kid, you starred in a movie made by your dad. <laughs> now, oh, man. talk me through how this led to your sort of burgeoning interest in storytelling and media in the future. I mean, my dad is, uh, my dad would probably be the first to say his movie has not really stood the test of time. It was made in like the early nineties. I mean, he's not a <laughs> professional filmmaker. It's kind of a, a family project that um, he had us do. But my dad, I think, is the one who really jumpstarted my interest in, in media and culture. And then, you know, subsequently in tech, um, he's just a really, really interesting person. He's always had a lot of fascinating hobbies. Um, he's a very creative person. Um, you know, he took a sabbatical when, when we were younger and he moved my mom, um, back before she passed away. So I was one, my brother was two. Um, and he moved us to Monument Valley in Utah for like six months and he filmed this movie that he wrote and directed and starred in. Um, and uh, it's called Portals, Legend of the Magic Arch. And basically one of those big kind of rock arches in Monument Valley turns into a portal to another world and an alien comes through it and kidnaps my dad's son in the movie and my dad has to kind of get him back. Um, my brother plays my dad's son in the movie. I play the baby born at the end, the kind of happy ending of the movie. Um, so, yeah, I was probably like just a crying, screaming infant. Um, but, you know, my dad's just someone who I think really loves. He loves film. He loves art. Um, he loves just how people kind of uh, get their minds changed and worldviews shaped by content. Um, and that kind of was what really led me to have a love for film when I was younger, a love for music, um, and now get got, get really passionate about how, you know, platforms like YouTube or TikTok or Instagram or what have you change how people interact with one another. Well, Rex, that film does sound gripping. I'll have to check it out on Amazon <laughs> Prime tonight. I uh, think uh, <laughs> I think you'll have to, like, order a dusty old VHS copy somewhere or something. It's, it's definitely hard <laughs> to get your hands on. Um, but, no, I mean, it definitely is uh, – is something worth checking out. I, uh, my dad also, you know, has written a couple of books. He had this family project when we were younger called our 15 minutes where he would send my brother and me to, and himself to different corners of the house every day for 15 minutes. And we would work on a book. Um, and then the goal was at the end of the year, we would all have kind of completed a book. And so it was, you know, a little project to show discipline and that you can work towards something. Um, and my, book was very terrible as well but uh you know it was kind of this way that got me to love writing and um all of that kind of creation process so that was the real beginning of i guess creating and then you know i'm sure we could get into like later instagram and substack and other things like that 
Yeah, absolutely. I think staying on that just a little further, how has having a prominent father figure shaped your early learning, Rex, specifically your intellectual curiosity with, you know, fostering these traits from an early age? Yeah. Um, I mean, my dad's a really formative person in my life. Um, my mom passed away when I was one from ovarian cancer. And so it's always been my dad, brother and me. Um, so, you know, she was 34. My dad was, you know, a little bit older. He found himself with a two-year-old and a one-year-old um, and kind of, you know, just had to raise this single-handedly. And I feel really fortunate that he's an incredible double parent, but also just a very loving and sensitive person. Um, very kind of, I joke that he cries like 12 times a day. He's very sensitive and emotional. He calls me honey and his special one. Like he's very, um, just a wonderful uh, and emotive person. And so I think that helped me a lot, just kind of embrace my interests. Um, you know, he encouraged me all the time about things I was curious about. He's a very passionate person and I think very much sort of your idea of a Renaissance man. Um, and so I always tried to emulate that. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, as I, I've gotten older, I think my dad and brother are very curious people. My partner, Ian, is a very curious person. In my mom's wedding vows, she talked a lot about um, she and my dad sharing an intellectual intimacy, which I always like. I like that turn of phrase. Um, and so that's kind of what I try to have with both my partner, but also my closest friends as well of, you know, a lot of our relationship um, and friendships are built on kind of shared interests and passions about the things that, you know, we're excited about and driven by. And so I think just trying to kind of read a lot, keep nurturing that, and then surround myself with people who are curious and make me better. Yeah, man, that's, um, yeah, a very raw, open and honest line there, Rex. So man, really, really appreciate you you sharing that um but really really love that love that idea of you know having these these intellectual partners that that we can go to and not 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 only for mental stimulation but just for genuine support and you know being there being there whenever i think that's so so important yeah absolutely great i guess pivoting slightly from this the the influence that you that you've had from from your father and from you know and that early age interest in media um understanding how things work in the arts and culture how has that now come to influence the way you invest at index through the focus of the intersection of people and tech yeah i mean i think um the companies that get me excited are just understanding consumer love for a product um and you know the, when the product market fit is so clear and you can see people clamoring for the product and you know that can be a wide variety of things you know a productivity software tool like notion or figma or Airtable. it could be a social app um like instagram or or snap it could be you know a gaming or experience platform like roblox or fortnite i think my interest in that are really varied um and Index, you know, has a long history of investing in really interesting businesses at, you know, the intersection of people and tech. And so that's what gets me excited of, you know, over the past 10, 15 years, we've made great investments like Roblox and Discord and, you know, Patreon, Figma and so on. Um, and I think just what is the next generation of that? What are the next generation of really design first, consumer friendly products that are beautiful and elegant and accessible? And what are the things that are built for the next generation of people? Um, you know, I'm always fascinated by Gen Z and a lot of generational behavior changes and how people approach 
life and relationships and work. Um, and so that's what gets me really excited. I mean, this job is a privilege in that you get to learn from really smart people who are always ahead of um, you by you know six months or a year in terms of thinking about where the world's going. And so whenever you see me or any other venture investor writing about a topic, it's probably a lagging indicator of um, what entrepreneurs have been working on for the last couple of years. And so I think just feel, I feel very privileged to be around um, people who are always teaching me about where the world's going. I love that. No, that's so, so important. I guess now transitioning to a little further on, Index started in Europe way back in 1996 and then came to the West Coast in 2011. Now, just recently, you announced that you're opening an office in New York. So I'd love to hear your motivation to move from West Coast to East Coast and really why you're getting excited, Rex. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about it. Index is really excited. Um, I'll give a quick history just to, to build on what you said of Index. So we did start in Europe, um, actually in Geneva briefly, and then we kind of realized that Geneva wasn't going to be the capital of, of startup formation in Europe. And so we launched in London you know, 20, 25 years ago and um, then came over to the U.S. to San Francisco um, you know, a decade or so ago. We had two of our partners from London, Danny Reimer and Mike Volpe, make the move over to open the San Francisco office. And that was when really uh, Index went from being the European venture capital firm to the global venture capital firm. And I think we've done a good job over the last decade building our relationships in the ecosystem here on the West Coast, um, in America, You know, trying to just expand and be completely multi-stage, multi-sector, um, totally global. And that's what we want to be. And um, you know, I think we saw from where the world was going a few reasons for, for New York. I mean, one, just the it's kind of follow the talent. Um, probably every other seed stage company that I meet with now, one of the founders or, or the whole founding team is based in New York. Um, it's become such a magnet for talent. Also, I think we've seen it, it really be the bridge um, from Europe and from Israel and other parts of the world, Africa, to the U.S. Um, it's often the landing place. It's very central from a time zone perspective in this new remote working world. And so most of the major kind of business hubs in the world are are pretty close to, to New York in a time zone or it sits about in the middle of them. Um, and then you know, I think just personally, too, I mean, I absolutely love New York. Um, it's where I've always wanted to come back to after after moving to San Francisco. And um, it's where my partner and I want to build a life and raise a family. And it's actually where my family lives. And so I think... Um, I wrote this piece last week when we announced this about how New York is, uh, I love New York for the same reasons that I love the internet, which is they are chaotic and, and wild and unruly and sort of diverse. And they're this collision of humanity. Um, and that's my kind of very poetic, romantic view of New York city, but the same way that I view the internet, but everyone can kind of find a place to belong. And, and I certainly get a lot of my own kind of personal energy from that vibrancy. Yeah, I love that idea of just, you know, having lots of random collisions with people, opportunities. And I think New York, there's no place greater to do that and at least for it to be facilitated. Definitely. So, no, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to hear yeah. how that develops. And then I would say, I mean, um, you know, also, of course, Index has been investing in New York for a really long time. I mean, we did Datadog Series A over a decade ago and a couple we led a couple rounds in Etsy and Squarespace. And so, I mean... Those are three of the, the New York IPOs from the last 10 years. And 
those used to be fewer and further between, but now I think every year is bringing a big IPO or just a large company that's coming out of New York. And some of our recent investments like Fireblocks in the crypto space or Beam um, in the commerce space are, are based in New York. And, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be great to be kind of the midpoint between our London team and San Francisco team as well, because we work really collaboratively as a group. Um, but also selfishly, I'm just excited to be back in New York. Yeah, absolutely. To dig in a little further, how has that startup's ecosystem developed within New York City? And I guess, Rex, where do you see it heading over the next 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we're seeing a lot of companies start remotely, um, or especially the growth stage companies, be remote first workplaces. Um, And that has a couple effects. I mean, one, it allows people to sort of untether from the office and geography that they felt limited to and, and live where they want to live. And for a lot of young people, that is New York. But on the other hand, a lot of companies do see some benefit in the early days of starting together or being in one place. And I think, you know, if you look throughout history, a lot of the best ideas and companies and organizations and just innovation has happened when you compress a lot of people into a confined space. And I think that's what Manhattan and Brooklyn and New York writ large will be over the next decade or two, where it's kind of, you know, all of these people who choose to be in New York um, and can be because they might you know, work for global companies, but can be there from, you know, a, a remote work or, or a time zone perspective and just have these pockets of the city that are dedicated to different sectors, you know, whether it's Web3 in Soho or Brooklyn, um, or we're seeing, you know, meatpacking is a big place or Flatiron. I mean, a lot of consumer is centered around New York because um, if you think about it, almost every New York um, or New York is almost every industry in New York is quite central to. So, you know, you've got advertising and fashion and financial services. Now crypto, you've got, you know, marketing and I could go on and on and on. Um, It's really a a hub or the hub for all of these industries. And so I think the next generation of companies building and disrupting and reinventing those industries will do it from New York. Yeah, I really, really like that vein. Now, McKinsey put up a report in February this year highlighting how really the, the, the pandemic has just accelerated existing trends to remote work. How do you see the future of remote work unfolding inside of the sphere, be it venture investing, Rex? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I'm a believer that um, two things. One, you should live and work where you're happiest because where you're happiest is where you're most productive. That said, too, um, there is benefit still to being in person. And so I think in any job, you need to either be willing to travel um, or have some members of your team or, or customers surrounding you in that in that geography. Um, so I think when it pertains to New York um, and venture, you know, I really think like a lot of first meetings in venture will happen over Zoom now, which is more efficient for the entrepreneur. It's more efficient for the investor. Um, it's a more equal, you know, kind of playing field versus you know, the old kind of power balances of, you know, I have to come to your office or you have to come to my office. So I think it makes a lot more sense. Um, It's more efficient, but I think relationship building still has to happen in person. And so I think, you know, we make a point to when we can, and you can always with how quickly, um, you know, investments are happening nowadays, but, you know, we try to meet entrepreneurs in person and really get to know them um, because I think it's where, index shines in that, you know, we, we enjoy being around each other as a team. We enjoy working as a team. Um, and I think, you know, we've amassed a really great group of, of people 
Um, but also I think it's just where you can get to know an entrepreneur better. I think it's where um, you can get a feel for an organization or, or how a leader leads a team when you're in person. And a lot of those things get lost over Zoom. So I do expect it to be a combination of, you know, starting off with Zooms and video calls and, and phone calls and then moving into more in person. Yeah, you mentioned the speed of investing there, Rex. And how has that velocity of raising a round changed over time, at least throughout your career? And where do you see that speed ultimately heading with the recent, you know, economic indicators that we're that we're seeing now where 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 there's definitely a, a potential slowdown happening within the broader market? Yeah, I mean I think um it ebbs and flows. I think uh last year was pretty chaotic in the sort of frenzied pace that that investments were happening and decisions being made in a very compressed time and um i think we're now seeing a little bit of a correction which you know i think is probably needed um i i'm a believer that you want to build relationships before you have to make a decision you know in 24 48 hours both from the investor and entrepreneur standpoint about you know who you want to have a 10-year relationship with um because, you know, it really is like entering a marriage, um, especially at those early rounds. And so I think that's good in that there's a little more time and breathing room to relationship build. Um, but I think, you know, who knows where the rest of this year will go. I mean, we could, this could be a blip um, and we could be laughing about it by October or November, or this could be kind of a multi-year correction after a 12-year bull market. So we'll see. How is index capitalizing on these trends that are now ultimately driving the future of work with founders? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we still try to do a lot of in-person events. I think it's where we shine. I think we really enjoy being together. Um, but we've also, you know, embraced the new normal in terms of uh, doing onboarding sessions with founders that in a recent cohort who have joined, you know, our origin fund or seed fund, we can maybe get them together over Zoom or we use Gather sometimes, one of our investments to, you know, just come together um, both socially and also from, you know, kind of a learning about how, how Index can work with you perspective. Um, so I think it's a combination. I think, you know, it'll be the, the future is hybrid. Um, you know, we're going to do both online things, but also offline. But it also has enabled us to be a little more flexible meet more companies all over the world. Um, a lot of the best entrepreneurs, I mean, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, uh, talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. And so I think this new world order is, you know, equalizing that playing field a little bit by allowing anyone anywhere to start a company with AWS or Stripe or any of these kinds of building blocks that make business creation easier. Um, and now, you know, we can get in touch with them and build a relationship and lead around from halfway around the world. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I think you definitely can't beat those in-person events, Rex, and the propulsion it gives a relationship. You know, we're we're ultimately social beings, so being able to go palm to palm and really foster that relationship from a from an in-person setting, I think, is so so important, and I don't think will be renounced anytime soon. I agree completely. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how it evolves, but already you can see some of the stats around. Young workers, you know, I think like seventy or eighty percent of Gen Zs said that they would quit if their uh, if their company had them fully have to go back to the office. And so I think that flexibility will be really interesting. And 
you know, when the pandemic happened, my partner and I looked at each other and we were like, you know, wow, like the amount of time that we're going to spend with our future kids probably just went up a lot. Um, and I think that's wonderful. Like, I think it's, it's really great to be able to work from home some days, you know, have those in-between moments with your partner or your chil- children, um, your spouse. I mean, also just thinking about being able to get away for a long weekend and, and work remotely on Friday. And, um, you know, it's been interesting to see yesterday Airbnb announced their new kind of product innovation uh, categories where you can kind of sort by tree houses and like ocean homes and surfing and stuff like that to, you know, uh, go, go stay somewhere for a while. And I think it's going to be just really interesting how the kind of uh, nomad life takes hold or how people rethink where they live and how they spend time. Yeah, I'm with you there entirely, Rex. I think it's going to be quite the journey and quite the, really the, paradigm shift that we're that we're going to see only exacerbated by covid and its ultimate outflow i guess continuing the startup angle we've seen a lot of tools emerge that make work life more simple and enjoyable and you know making us as humans more connected than ever whilst in this virtual setting talk me through Index's process in finding the most promising companies in consumer tech and digital economies? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's always challenging. I mean, the, the interesting part about this job is you just never know the how you'll be introduced to the next kind of iconic generational company. Um, and so I think all you can do is position yourself for serendipity and opportunity. Um, so I think, you know, we do a lot of different things to you know meet the next generation of entrepreneurs i think um of course founders in our portfolio are always great magnets for other entrepreneurs i think you know the the best and most ambitious and visionary people surround themselves with other very incredible and exceptional people um so i think certainly the founders in our portfolio a lot of the people in the index network and ecosystem that the index family broader um and so we do a lot of events and dinners and um, we do a lot of future founder events of, you know, just understanding who might not be starting a company now, but we think is really exceptional and, and will be down the road and, and playing the long game. Um, and then also, you know, content, you know, writing or Twitter has brought me some some really interesting entrepreneurs um, keeping an eye out. Um, and, you know, I guess I would summarize it as one of my partners said to me once, you know, just surround yourself with sort of top 1% people, people who are just totally exceptional um, and you're wowed by, and, and they might not even work in startups. They might be an artist or maybe they're in marketing or maybe they're, you know, I don't even know, like, you know, an actor, um, but they, you know, just tend to attract really other incredible people. Um, and so I've tried to just kind of identify who those people are and learn from them and surround myself with them. I'm all for that law of attraction, you know, surrounding yourself with, brilliant people and you know the all you're doing is you're opening up the opportunity for more great ideas from more great people and i think it's it's such a wonderfully self-fulfilling cycle rex yeah exactly exactly now back in december you wrote a great piece on your weekly newsletter digital native titled it's gen z's world and we're just living in it talk to me about (laughs) how gen z are really shaping the future Yeah, I mean, I'm just fascinated by, um, you know, I mentioned consumer behavior before, but I think the biggest changes of that um, come with new generations that come of age in a different time and um, just kind of 
have different uh, characteristics and traits and worldviews and perceptions of each other and, and of the world that totally go against a lot of the things that other people grew up with. And so, you know, my, my Substack's called Digital Native because it's kind of about this digital native generation. Um, I think it's interesting to see this, the first people kind of reach adulthood who really grew up in a world with, um, you yeah, know, with smartphones, with computers, of course, with social media. Um, a lot of people don't remember a world before iPhone. Um, and it's really fascinating just to see the different behaviors of this. And so that piece was really about what are the kind of key traits of, of Gen Z as a generation that are going to change um, commerce, that are going to change social, that are going to change how we work, um, just a lot of these different topics. And they're very kind of broad through lines that cut through a lot of things. But some of them were, you know, sustainability, how how Gen Zs care about the climate and uh, environment. And, and that, you know, certainly means great kind of climate focused companies like Watershed or Patch or Silvera. But it also means companies like Depop for secondhand clothing or uh, Otrium for overstock, excess inventory clothing, you know, different kind of trickle effects of, um, of that worldview around sustainability. And then also I talked about, you know, entrepreneurship, this new idea of what we were talking about earlier of, you know, your career is this white space that you can create and build for yourself with a bunch of internet tools and platforms. Um, and then there were some other topics just of, you know, online community and socialization because it's so fascinating to me how a lot of young people and, and, you know, I grew up this way as well with MySpace and Facebook and Instagram and Snap of just finding community and belonging online. Um, and those are just some of the kind of investment theses that get me really excited and um, a future world that I hope to see. Yeah, there's a real ripple effect coming from you know, you you said it there, Rex, sustainability to entrepreneurship to commerce and socialization. How do you see these trends continuing to develop? I think we're still just at the beginning of understanding a lot of the effects of you know, growing up online um, and what that will look like from a generational behavior perspective. Um, I also think, you know, the pace of change is really stunning. Um, I love this one graphic of what the MacBook looked like, you know, over the past 20 years because you see it just getting thinner and thinner um and i think or the you could do the same thing with the improvement of the iphone since it came out you know whatever 15 years ago or so um just the pace of technology is really staggering and you could even look at the camera quality of the iphone for instance of when you know 10 years ago when, when instagram came out or when snap was getting started how poor the photo quality was so some any of these are great litmus tests or sort of measures um of how fast technology is changing and so I kind of like thinking from first principles around if we continue that, uh, what are the things today that will be radically different 10 years from now? I love that. I love that. I guess going back to this sense of community and this sense of belonging, Rex, why is building an audience important to you and how does that in turn intersect with investing? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the just really interesting and um, empowering things about the internet is that anyone can find people around the world who share their ideas or values or um, just to interact with and, and find community with. I, I always love one of our company's uh, Patreon, Jack Conti, the founder always says, you know, what's powerful about the internet is that really no niche is too niche. So if you grew up and uh, you were the only person in your small town of a thousand people who was interested in a certain thing, yeah, that might seem like a really niche interest of one in a thousand, 
But on the internet, there are four and a half billion people online. So that's four and a half million people who share that interest with you. And so you might be part of a Discord server or a subreddit with four and a half million people. Um, and that's what I love about the internet. I mean, it connects you with people. I've met incredible friends through Instagram. I've met great kind of um, actually entrepreneurs, um, portfolio entrepreneurs through through Substack or um, writing. And so it's been really both a great tool, of course, for for my job, because I think, you know, a lot of work now is um, in my job is sharing ideas and um, sparking debate with people. And um, it's a really kind of efficient way to do that. But also, I've just always loved the idea of putting things out there and having people respond to them and interact with them. Yeah, I, I think that's so, so true, Rex. Really, really big on that. I guess going back to a little higher level, um, what does your perfect day look like? What does my perfect day look like? This question always reminds me of the movie Miss Congeniality when they ask her her perfect date <laughs> and she says April April 25th. Yes. Um, because it's like not too hot, not too cold. Um, that's like one of my favorite lines ever from the movie. But um, what is my perfect day? I mean, I think it depends. Like, I think, uh, you know, if it's not, I really do. I enjoy work, but, you know, assuming it's kind of a non-work day, um, I think it has some, you know, combination of a few things. Um, one is time to read. I really love reading um, both fiction, but also just reading articles like i love sitting down and just kind of having a couple hours to read articles i've saved to pocket on my um ipad and uh so definitely a couple hours of reading um a lot of time with family and friends um certainly a workout i really enjoy working out um so maybe a lift or a run um and then yeah i'm, I'm in, like envisioning a, a beach or some sort of relaxing time surrounded by all the people that i love being around well, Rex, if you ask me, that sounds pretty damn good. <laughs> sounds, yeah, I mean, I that think that sounds like a pretty perfect day. Very privileged that, uh, yeah, a lot of days are like that of you know being surrounded by really interesting people, and um, you know, it's one reason I'm excited about New York too. A lot of family and friends there, and hope to do lots of dinners and host people. And um, I am kind of a homebody, so I think just having people over, and I'm more of like a a dinner party guy. Like that would be kind of my ideal night uh or like or a cool like speakeasy or cocktail bar or something but you know just really kind of good deep conversation with people who um i love being around so that's the so life's all about right absolutely that is it that is life hey now 24 hours before this podcast i asked twitter for questions they'd like to ask so we'll dive right in rex does that sound good yeah let's do it Perfect. So Andrew Young, he asks, which article has been the most energizing to write on Digital Native and which topics are you most passionate about? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I would say I really enjoy writing anything about like um, a really large trend that I feel like is undercovered. Um, and so, for instance, a lot of that is Gen Z. A lot of it is... Um, sort of, I like talking about specific companies too, to make things tangible. Um, and so for instance, I'm thinking of like a recent piece of innovation in media that I wrote about how, um, you know, we think of the main media categories of like film, television, books, music, gaming, uh, what are the startups that are really pushing those forward and pioneering th new things? Um, or a couple weeks before that I wrote one about commerce and sort of 
10 trends in commerce and, and specific companies in there. I like those because I think, you know, it's kind of my job of, you know, learning about and meeting these companies. And I think ones like that are uh, interesting because I both get to tie in a larger trend, but also distinct companies. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I really, really love that idea. You know, ch- chasing where where the music is moving and being able to understand that and sort of disseminate that and really break it down and understand why it's moving and you know why people are getting so excited about it. I think that's that that definitely rings true in my ears, Rex. Exactly. Now, Carl Harrison, he wants to know your thoughts on building a following online. And he uses a combination of writing, you know, Twitter, TikTok, Insta. How how do you see that moving forward and integrating together? Yeah, I mean, I think every platform is so different. Um, and I get different fulfillment for each one. So I originally was creating a lot of content on Instagram, did a lot of like now cringeworthy sponsor posts there back in the day. Um, and I think, you know, Instagram being a visual platform definitely lends itself to more kind of performance um, and a lot of the more kind of curated performative aspects of social media. And so I actually ended up taking a year off from Instagram after a couple of years ago, just because I felt like it wasn't um, the kind of content that I was proud of or wasn't good for my mental health to, to measure my life in metrics like likes and self worth and metrics like, um, you know, followers and, and comments. So, you know, I do like Instagram and TikTok and more visual platforms for that reason. Um, I think they're quite creative. I think you can show a lot about your life and they can be very beautiful. Um, but I also really enjoyed Twitter and Substack because I think for me, at least they were a little bit more about getting to show an intellectual side. Um, and so a lot of the times I am prouder of, you know, uh, being, writing digital native and maybe meeting a, a reader in the wild. Um, like last week I met uh, actually like at a bar, someone came up and was a, a reader, which I thought was really cool. Cause usually that happens with someone following me on Instagram. Um, and I think I'm a little prouder of putting out that kind of content that I work really hard on. Um, so I think kind of a mix of multimedia. Um, I mean, to Kyle's point, Kyle's done a great job with writing as well. And I think in this day and age, I think as a younger person starting your career, it's a really great way to um, synthesize ideas, kind of put out your opinions, um, have people challenge you on them. And also just the serendipity increases when, you know, you have the kind of infinite distribution of the internet. Um, You never know who's going to read your things and resonate with them or reach out to you to chat about them. And I think that can be a huge unlock for a lot of career potential. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you there. I think Twitter and Substack, you definitely get to access a level of depth that you just can't quite tap into on platforms such as TikTok and Instagram. So I'm big on, you know, being able to disseminate those thoughts and just really chase what you're curious about, right? For for anyone young or anyone unsure of their trajectory. Exactly. Just, yeah. just finding what they're what they're interested in. Exactly. Now Kyle, he also asks what are your thoughts on the evolution of venture and what has been the impact of web three? Hmm. I mean, I think ventures, you know, certainly changing a lot. We've seen it in the last uh, year, especially with tiger and crossover funds and the rise of solo GPs. You know, Kyle also has just done some right, great writing on this of, um, you know, if you think of as a venture investor and venture firm, you have to think of what is the product I'm selling, just like your company and how do you differentiate that product? Um, and so it's something we think a lot about at index of, you know, if you want 
just capital, um, like sort of dispassionate, unattached capital, we're not the person for you. Um, we're a lot more hands-on. We try to be as hands-on as entrepreneurs will let us be. We try to be as helpful as they'll allow us. And, um, you know, both talk, of course, about strategy and how they're doing and um, building the company. But also we have resources on our team around hiring engineers, hiring your, your CTO or CRO or C-suite people, um, a corporate network for getting customers, um, the comm strategy. So I think, you know, what is the product you're selling? You really need to think about that. And how do you um, differentiate yourself from a lot of other venture firms? Because capital itself is just a commodity. Yeah, I'm, I'm big with you there, Rex. I think the best VCs, such as Index, are constantly thinking about how to improve their product to ultimately attract the best customers. And I think that that can often get slightly distorted, especially with the recent um, advancements and flows and speed we've seen over the last really sort of 48, 48 months development coming out of COVID and everyone wanting a piece of the pie versus now your product is going to be the differentiating factor rather than just simply the capital that you put forward. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And so I think, you know, a lot of existential questions, um, especially given how things have changed in the last few months as well. Um, you know, the market environment. So we will see how, uh, the rest of the year evolves, but I think, um, you know, often it's, there's, there's no better time to start a company, I believe than now. Um, of course, people will say, you know, it's true that Uber, Airbnb were started, you know, in 2008, 2009 crisis. Um, and that's always true. I think a lot of the best companies are built during downturns, but also just it's never been easier to start a company with all of the resources available, um, whether it's AWS, whether it's Stripe, whether it's all of the incredible content out there online about how to get going. Um, and so I think we're going to see record levels of, of business creation and startup creation. Yeah, awesome. Now, Sophia Cheng, she asks, how do you do it all, Rex? Come on, what's the secret <laughs> sauce? Um, oh, man, that's very sweet. Uh, I feel definitely like, you know, working a lot. Um, I think the interesting part of the venture job is it's very self-directed and um, you kind of are always on, but also can, you know, set your schedule a little bit. And so I try to build in a lot of time for... Um, thinking for uh working out for sleep like taking care of myself and building kind of guardrails and so i do a lot of defensive calendaring where i block out time for for certain things on my calendar um but i'm also a very kind of routine driven person and so i get a lot of comfort in the sort of chaos of work of just having kind of weekly rituals or routines um so for instance i'll write usually on tuesday evening um i will uh, set aside time on Saturday or Sunday to catch up on articles and reading um, and sort of try to, to juggle it. And I'm also kind of a very type A organized person. So I think that helps. Yeah, I'm with you there. There's got to be structure. Otherwise, I'm, um, you know, having having a long line and uh, watching far too much Netflix otherwise. <laughs> but at least, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all for having that, having that structure, but also setting aside some time to to think and you know be be alone with your thoughts and giving yourself some some breathing room which i find is often not prioritized in in the in the common uh, common line of work where you know everyone's go 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 and really the only time they rest is when they're in the shower or when they're sleeping so actually prioritizing that um that that 
layer of just breathing and you know what am I thinking about what am I doing and how can I how can I ultimately get better so I'm big on that regs now I have a tradition on this podcast where at the end of the show each guest answers a question that was left by the previous guest now last week we had Michael Girdley the chairman and co-founder of Jura Software his question is you have one living person over for dinner who is it? Um, probably pretty easy for me. I'm like, I'm the world's biggest Barack Obama fan. I just absolutely love him. I think he embodies a lot of the values I try to live by. He's brilliant. Um, I really admire him. So I think I would say Barack, um, that would be, that would be my answer. would love to, to have a conversation with him, meet him. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else who comes comes close um but i think that's my answer i love that no i think bonus, that would be uh, bonus points if michelle comes too yeah <laughs> i think that would be one great dinner table discussion there rex so uh would love to be a part of that well rex listen we have come to the end of this one but i have so enjoyed doing this it's been raw honest and a really great conversation diving into life and investing itself so I'm so glad we could do it, my friend. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. And so, you know, looking forward to chatting more about these topics and, and appreciate the thoughtful questions and, uh, you know, excited to hopefully meet in person down the road. But otherwise, you know, it's, it's fun to have been following you along on, on Twitter and, and get to meet in the internet world here. So really appreciate your time today, Alex. Similarly, Rex, I'm uh, equally looking forward to uh, sharing a drink or at least a cocktail on one of those London rooftop bars on a hot summer evening. It should be a lot of fun. But nonetheless, <laughs> beforehand, it's, uh, it's uh, such, a, su- such a great time that, that we have the, the ability to do this over the power of the Internet. So uh, it's been a lot Absolutely. of fun. Listen, I will uh, let you shoot, but this has been uh, a really great one. Awesome. Talk to you soon.